you know, if you work for a company, uh, the company probably has a purpose or a mission statement, and then along with that, they have a vision statement that, that makes that purpose possible. Our church is no different, and really, we learned that from God. You know, when Jesus came, he had statements of purpose that he would say and remind his followers of. So he would, he would say, I came to seek and to save the lost. And then the early church would have creeds and statements of faith that would keep them on track and on path in their purpose. In fact, the King Solomon, wisest person ever 3,000 years ago, wrote a proverb uh, that said, where there is no vision, the people perish. So where there's no vision, no revelation, when people can't see what God is doing and what their purpose is, they get depressed, they get hopeless, they give up. And I don't want that to be true of our church And I don't want that to happen for us because we're in a moment of time that is so special. Us as a church, you and me, really in the world, uh, I'm telling you, we're in a a point in time that generations before us have prayed for. And uh, it may not look like that. You say, no, the world is so dark right now and things that are happening, but our light shines best in the dark. And people are discovering how the world's way doesn't work. (laughs) And... uh, The churches, the local church, it works. God's ways work. Our light shines best in the dark. So I just want to tell you and remind you this weekend the purpose of the church. And so Rockbrook has a purpose statement. Our purpose statement is that Rockbrook Church exists to bring you to Jesus Christ so you can find and fulfill God's purpose for your life. Let's just break this down. Let's walk through it. Rockbrook Church exists. When we say Rockbrook Church, not talking uh, about a building not talking about a street address, not talking about a bank account, I'm talking about you and me. Okay, your family is not your house. Your family is not your bank account. Your family is the people that you are doing life with that you're committed to one another. And so Rockbrook Church is a group of people that are committed to one another. And the same is true for us. So we're committed to one another. We're unified in our purpose. And the reason we exist, first and foremost, is to bring you to Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we're not a a body of believers. Without Jesus Christ, we're not a spiritual family. We're not the church. We're just a club. But with him, we're the hope of the world. We're salt and light. We're a city on a hill. And just like in the Gospels, people would bring the hopeless the depressed, the hurting. They would, they would carry the paralyzed to Jesus. They'd bring them to Jesus Christ. That's our first goal is to, to bring you to Jesus Christ. Why? So you can find and fulfill God's purpose for your life. So you exist for a reason. And you might say, no, I'm an accident. I've heard the story. I'm an accident. My parents weren't planning me. Well, you may have been a surprise to your family, but you're not a surprise to God. And that may be your parents' story, but that's not your story. God wasn't surprised by you. He planned you. And you're not an accident to God. He created you. And he knows you're alive. And he created you in the time and the place you were created for a reason. And your life becomes amazing when you lay down your purpose for you and you pick up God's purpose for you. When you exchange your life for God's. Jesus called it deny yourself, deny your way, and follow him and we want to find and fulfill God's purpose and that's the same uh, individually as believers but also collectively as a church this is there's things he wants us to accomplish God has given us purposes in fact there's two statements of Jesus 
that are considered great. So early on in church history, uh, they, they, when they were canonizing scripture, they titled two statements of Jesus and they called them great. It was like they highlighted them, said, hey, he meant this. These are great statements of Jesus and we founded our church on them. One of the first ones called the great commandment. I'll set it up for you. A guy um, approached Jesus and he says, uh, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? I love this guy, guy after my own heart. Could you sum this up for me, please? <laughs> Could you kind of like break it down? Could you tell me what God really cares about, what you really care about? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the Old Testament is where we find the law and the prophets, people who spoke on behalf of God. And Jesus is saying, if you want to know what all that is rooted in, it's rooted in loving the Lord your God so much that it takes some heart and soul. It takes some strength. And then just like you care for yourself, you love yourself. So you, you make sure you're warm. You make sure you're fed. You make sure you're taken care of. I want you to do that for the people around you. And then Jesus has another statement that's great. And it's actually Jesus' last words to his followers, to his disciples, before he ascended into heaven. And he knows these are going to be his last words. And last words are very powerful. They're very meaningful. He says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And this is what I want you doing while I'm gone. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love it. Thank you, Lord, for, for making it clear for us what you want us to do. And it's in these two great passages of Scripture that we find God's purposes for the church. And this is what he wants his church uh, to be doing. If you're taking notes, you can write these in. I'll kind of explain them as we go. He wants his people loving God. And the theological word for that, the church word, the purpose word, is worship. When you love God, that's an act of worship. God created you to worship him by loving him. And second, Jesus says you are to love your neighbor. And loving your neighbor requires action to use your hands and feet to serve him. And that, the purpose word or the theological word is ministry. He says, go and make disciples. You're going to have to go and make disciples. Go, that's evangelism. Sharing the good news of salvation through Christ. God calls each of us to believe in Christ and then share that with someone else. Someone told you, you tell someone else. And then Jesus says, once someone believes, you should baptize them. And baptism, it's... It's a lot more than just kind of a one-time event. Yes, it's a, it's a one thing that happens in a moment of time, but what you're doing is you're saying, I identify with Jesus Christ, with his death, burial, his resurrection, and I identify myself with Jesus' followers. And so I want to be a part of this people, this fellowship of believers, and I identify myself with them and then teach them to obey. That's discipleship that you are to obey Christ's commands in your own life and teach others to do the same. And uh, you learn and obey, and as they learn, they teach you and you obey. And throughout Scripture, we see that these are the things God is passionate about. He wants us to grow strong in worship. 
He wants the church to grow broader in its ministry, helping more and more people. He wants the church to grow larger through evangelism. He wants the church to grow warmer through fellowship. And he wants the church to grow deeper in discipleship. So we are driven by these five things. Rockbrook is what's called a purpose-driven church. You may have heard that term before. What that means is that we are committed to balancing and emphasizing all five of these. Not three of them, not four of them, all five of them. For instance, as you know, I was a worship pastor for 10 years, and I'm very passionate about worship in the church, and my personal preference, if it was just me driving the ship, is we would have a worship service that would be in almost an hour of, of worship and prayer, and I would come and do a short devotional on worship every week. Oh, I'd love it. But because I'm purpose-driven, because I'm a purpose-driven believer, I'm a purpose-driven leader, I'm a purpose-driven pastor, I don't let my individual passion, just what I gravitate towards, lead the church. Because Jesus, he didn't call us to do one thing. He called us to do many things. The church isn't called to do one thing. The church is called to do several things. The same is true in my life personally. And even though my personal preference is worship, that's what I gravitate towards, I can't ignore growing as a disciple, serving others in ministry, sharing my faith through evangelism, connecting with others in fellowship. Because if I let my passion, what comes natural to me, drive my life, drive my Christian faith, then it's not driven by God, it's driven by me. I'm not following God, I'm following me. So this is our purpose. This is our mission. This is why we exist. Our goal is to bring people to Jesus Christ so they can, they can grow in these areas, to bring people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Now, there's a myth in growing spiritually that I just kind of want to bust today, and that is that people think you, when you grow spiritually that it happens automatically or that it happens instantly. That if I, I give my life to Christ, that I, I don't really have to work out my salvation or, or do anything that God, I'm just, I'm just going to grow spiritually because I'm, I'm a Christian. But you don't grow automatically. You don't grow instantly. You grow incrementally and intentionally. That's how we grow spiritually. So we have a way we like to say that around here, if you're taking notes, is that we grow through a step-by-step process. I have a young son at home. He's almost one. His name is Landry, and uh, my wife, her name is Lauren, and she works at a children's hospital. So for the last 11 months, I have heard about the developmental stages of physical growth, <laughs> and I've seen it in action. Landry uh, had, to, had to eat pureed food before he could even learn how to eat solid food. Okay? He had to learn to roll over before he learned to crawl before he learned to pull himself up. Now he's learning to stand. Now don't miss this. Just like we grow through physical stages of growth, that's the same way we grow spiritually. Jesus knew this. You read through the Gospels, when he met someone, he'd start with at the level of commitment they were at. And he would draw them in. And he would, he'd turn up the heat. And he'd grow them spiritually. So the first thing he did with the disciples, actually, was he didn't demand anything from them. He didn't ask anything of them. That many of them were fishermen, and the first thing he did was fill up their boat with fish. And then he says, come follow me. 
And 14 times as you read through the Gospels, Jesus redefines what it means to follow him. Why? Because he's not dumping it on them all at once. He's slowly turning up the heat. He's growing them up spiritually. And then the disciples would turn around and go, oh my goodness, we are fulfilling God's purpose for our life. So we have a vision with steps and processes to help us achieve our purpose. And I want to show you this process and this vision. And uh, I could show it to you actually in several different places in Scripture. I chose this weekend one of my favorites. Uh, It's actually a prayer in the Bible that the Apostle Paul prayed. So the Apostle Paul, he he planted this church in Ephesus, and then uh, he pastored them, and then he left to go plant new churches. But he would write back to the churches that he planted, and so he's writing this church at Ephesus, and he says, when I think about you, this is what I pray for you. And I love that as a pastor because I pray for you guys. And I want to know, how did the Apostle Paul pray for his church? And you don't see, the Bible talks a lot about prayer, but you don't see a whole lot of prayers written out. And this is one of those instances. And you'll see it when you read it. You see, you see a vision he has for them. You see a, a process he wants them to partake in. He says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Let's just walk through this today. Let's turn the page and and we'll kind of break this down. He says, the first thing that I want for you is he said, I want you to know him better. You can just write this in. He says, I want you to know God. He says, that's the first thing I want for you is to know God. And that word, it, it doesn't mean understanding. He's not saying, I don't want you to understand everything about God. It means I want you to know him, a relationship. Like the difference between I know of that famous person, I know who they are, different than I know them. Some translations, they add this word personally. And Jesus says this, in the same way in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, there's going to be a lot of people that call me Lord that don't get into heaven. And the reason is because they don't know me. They, they just know of me. They know that, uh, yes, Jesus came, and I know about Jesus, and I know he claimed to be the Son of God, and yeah, he's Lord, but it never meant anything. They never acted on it, and they never wanted to know me. And he says, those who do the will of my Father in heaven are are the ones who get into heaven. And he says to those who just claimed Lord, he'll cast them aside and say, they never knew me. So we don't want you to just have heard the name of Jesus. We want you to know who he is and we want you to know him. Not just the rituals, we want you to have a relationship with him. So that's why the Apostle Paul says, I pray that you may know him better personally. So what is your next step to know God or know him better? Our weekend worship services make that possible, where you can take your first spiritual steps, and you can be introduced to God, and you can give him your life, and you can take the next step of being, uh, of being baptized into the fellowship, identifying with Jesus, and where you can come in and say, I want to know God better today. I want to know God better today. I got this note from someone in our church the other day. 
I said 2017 has been full of weekend services that have fed my mind and heart with encouragement. But there is one line that I come back to often. Quote, that you may. It is from 1 Peter 2.9 and the sermon, The Heart of a Servant. It pointed out the image of God as a servant in my life and how he's been serving me before I ever chose him or before I was known by anyone but him. Since that weekend message, I've been able to recognize what God is doing because I am more sensitive to his character. The declaration that we spoke, I have prayed every morning over my heart. I want to serve the way that Jesus did for his people and be a light for him in my lifetime. Encouragement and loving people is something that I have seen God develop more in my heart over the years, and I love it so much. Each weekend, there is always something that I can hear from the sermons, the worship, or people in the church that reminds me of the promises and hope of God. That's wonderful. That's what we get to be a part of in our weekend services. I got this uh, note a few weeks ago. It says, I had been under very uh, heavy emotional oppression for about two days, and I truly felt it all just lift right off me during the sermon where you were talking about remembering how God has brought past victories. I could not dislodge the stress and feelings I was under by myself. But the verse about David and the lion and the bear snapped me right out of the funk. So thank you for bringing God's word in such a powerful way. You don't have to dislodge it on your own. The stuff in your life, you weren't supposed to do it by yourself. And that's what we get to be a part of in our, in our weekend services and, and our second Sunday student service. I got this email from a dad a few weeks ago where he says, I've never seen my oldest so excited to invite his friends to anything. But he tells me every few weeks that he invited a different buddy to Second Sunday. And he goes on about this with his kids. My two youngest pretty much throw a fit when it's time to leave church on Saturday night. And I, have nev- and I never have to beg them to come up and help us serve. They just love Rockbrook. So we don't just want you to attend a service. Okay, you don't get heaven points for filling a seat. And some people, they would actually rather church be miserable because if it's something that they have to endure, it's like God appreciates it more. Or like they get more points because it was miserable. No, church ought to be exciting. It ought to be a celebration. It ought to spur you to be a catalyst that you can know God more. So let's cultivate a a space in our hearts that we don't just check the box of went to church this week, but that we know God better. Now I'll give you... Before I give you the next step, I'm going to give you the verse first that Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And you can't get the eyes of your heart enlightened until you know God, but once you know God, he gives you the power to do this. So you have eyes here. We all know that. But you also know you've got eyes in here, your heart. I mean, it's how you filter the world. It's how you filter what's said to you, what's done to you. You filter it by wounds in the past promises that someone made and didn't keep, things that have happened to you, you filter it through the eyes of your heart. Apostle Paul says, I want you to get those enlightened. I'll say it this way, you you can be saved, know God, still have junk in your heart, amen? I mean, you can, you know God, you're going to heaven when you die. But you still have addiction, you still have habits, you still have wounds, you still have hurts that are just ruining your life and they're ruining your Christian faith and you know it. So how do we get our heart eyes enlightened? Well, it's the second step of our journey and we say it this way, we want you to find freedom from those things. So find freedom. 
And hands down, the best way to do this is in an honest relationship context. Hurts my feelings, but my sermons won't do it. Coming to church by itself won't do it. Listening to me preach won't deliver the freedom that you need from that thing. Now, I can be the catalyst for it. I can stir you to do it. But life change, real life change, happens in the context of relationships. Always has, always will. It's how discipleship happens. And I can prove it. If I were to put you on the spot right now, you wouldn't be able to name the last 10 sermons that we preached here. But you could, in a second, give me the 10, the last 10 people that have affected your life for good or for bad. Why? Because life change happens in the context of relationships. You are the sum total of your relationships. So we'll show you our nicks and scrapes if you'll show us yours. Because we got them. I got issues, people. You got issues. All God's children got issues. And if you think you don't got issues, well, that's your issue. (laughs) And sometimes I think, man, I don't have issues. I have a subscription. (laughs) You'll get that later. But we're all in the same hospital. And, And we, when we planted this church 20 and a half years ago, we just decided we're not going to play church. We're not playing a game. We're not playing around. We don't dress ourselves up to appear one way when really on the inside, we got all this junk that we can't get over. And we're not going to play church when freedom is at our doorstep and we can find freedom from that addiction. We can find freedom from that wound. We can find freedom from that hurt. And so you don't have to do it in front of everybody, but we encourage you to get in some relationships, get in a small group of people where you can find that freedom. So we have two primary ways that you can find freedom at Rockbrook in these contexts. And and the first one is to join a small group. And so uh, about two-thirds of the people that are going to come to Rockbrook this weekend, they're also uh, connected to a small group. And it's people that you can be real with, that you can learn and ask questions, that you can have a, a godly relationship with. And that same dad that I just mentioned a moment ago, he said this about his teenager's small group. He says he loves his teen small group and the other guys to the point where he's choosing to miss part of his basketball practice so he can catch the lesson in time with his group. He'd rather be with his small group. And I got this note a few weeks ago from someone who said, my wife and I have had a lot of challenges this, year, this last year and a half. God is and always has been constant, but these last few years were really the first time in our lives that we have had a church that is so steady as well. The relationships we have forged through our small groups are family. Not like family, just family. So we've got groups that help you find freedom, and a lot of them are uh, study-based, and even that study will help you find freedom from um, like wrong teaching or find freedom from debt or from spiritual war, warfare. And, but ultimately, it's so that you can have a life-changing relationship and you can help someone else find freedom. And we're really serious about this step. So we also have what's called Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery exists to help you find freedom from your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I've been through Celebrate Recovery. So many people in our church have. And it's kind of different from small groups. A small group is like an ongoing life-together relationship you would have with someone. And Celebrate Recovery, it's, 
It's a pathway that you would go through, and it's going to give you the ongoing tools of how to handle life and how to handle wounds and how to handle disappointment and how to handle temptation and addictions. And it's going to help you settle yesterday once and for all. Wouldn't you love for 2018 to be the year that you settle yesterday once and for all? And I really couldn't say it better than this. Or someone, they said, when I started Celebrate Recovery, I was hopeful, but skeptical that anything could help me. I went to large group and heard the lessons. I listened to testimonies. I sat in share groups. I went through a step study. It was very slow going. I thought maybe Celebrate Recovery worked for other people, but just not me. Kind of like I thought about God's goodness and good things in life. I believed in them. I just believed they were for other people. Then as I listened to others and share group, I started seeing myself in some of the things they said. In my step study, I would sometimes surprise myself by speaking something that I'd never realized about myself and my life before. And being asked these questions and having someone to speak the answers to brought long forgotten things and some ugly remembered things to the surface, which allowed them to be healed. I remember the lesson on forgiveness And when I acknowledged that I was still harboring anger toward people in my past, it was sheer hatred that I felt. There was no denying it. It didn't matter how long I had been a Christian either. I hoped bad things had happened to them along the way to equal the pain and suffering they had heaped upon me without reason. Then I was able to forgive each one of them by name and release them from my life, simultaneously releasing the bitterness fear, and hatred that had consumed me because of their actions 35 plus years before. That is just one of the things that God dealt with. The people with whom I have shared step studies and share group have all agreed that each one of us is very different than the person who started Celebrate Recovery months and months ago. We don't see things as we used to and don't react to things as we used to. We are nowhere near perfect, but we are so much more emotionally and physically healthy than we were when we started. Wouldn't you love for that to be your story a year from now? That the stuff that you've been hanging on to that's been clouding it up in here could be settled once and for all. Because once you know God and once you find freedom, the Apostle Paul says now you can know the hope to which he has called you. Until you know God and find freedom, you don't know the hope to which he's called you. So you can't see the future if your eyes are clouded with the past. And once that's wiped clean, you can see your calling and there's hope attached to it. And you'll never have hope until you find your calling. Hope is not in your boyfriend. It's not in your girlfriend. It's not in your marriage. It's not in the hope of a marriage. Your hope is not in your bank account. It's not in a lake house. It's not in your football team. Hope is found in your calling. That's why I would love for you to help us take you on the journey of discovering your purpose. And that's number three, discover purpose. And when you do, life takes on new meaning. And for too many Christians, it's a tragedy. They don't know the purposes of the church. They don't know how to connect to God relationally. They don't know their spiritual gifts. And they don't know how to serve God and help the church. And we want to change that. So in four classes, we can help you do all that. And that's what the growth track is designed to do. 
And I couldn't say it better than this person who sent me this about their growth track experience. They said, when I came to know Jesus, I was excited and expectant, but I didn't really know what to do next. I had seen many people accept Jesus, and then after the newness of it wore off, so did their fire for Jesus. I knew I wanted more than a ticket out of hell, but how? I also saw people that had found a new freedom in life after accepting Jesus and wanted to know I wanted to know how to walk in that type of purpose. Growth Track helped me to be able to articulate my faith, gave me the information I needed to make an informed decision about baptism, led me to a group of friends to walk through life with, and showed me an area to serve in that matched my personality. I felt like I belonged. I loved the idea that there is always a next step, even when you are a mature Christ follower. He is always able to take you to a new level of freedom and life and purpose. It was through the growth track process that I figured out God shaped me with specific gifts and those gifts had the ability to be used to glorify God while blessing others. I'm so thankful for a church that shows you how to make each day count for eternity. I love that. We want to help you figure out how to make each day count for eternity. And then this ultimate step comes after that where he says, I pray that you may grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that he has for his followers. And it's in his holy people. So you can't do it alone. You can't grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life. So you're not going to get the fulfillment from Christianity alone on a mountaintop somewhere. Being a flying solo Christian. No, it's connected into his holy people. And don't let the word holy scare you. It means set apart. It means that you're, you're part of this group and then together you're on this team so you can, number four, make a difference. And this is what your life is really all about right here. And this is why almost one out of every three people at Rockbrook serves on the dream team. They're teaching kids, they're playing instruments, they're feeding people, they're keeping people safe, they're putting on blood drives, they're setting up and cleaning uh, to make a way and create a space, they're helping other people take next steps, they're leading small groups, they're outreaching into the community, they're, they're making a difference. And so that's, that's the next step, It's how to make a difference is to join the dream team. I want you to hear from a couple of dream teamers. Uh, this is from someone who works on the registration team, the team that checks in your kids and so they're safe and they're where they need to be and they, they welcome people to Rockbrook and they kind of orient you to this, this whole thing. And they said, my family and I have been attending Rockbrook for 15 and a half years. After Pastor Kelly avidly repeated and encouraged serving, as well as watching how many were affected by serving, seven short years later, I joined the registration team. After taking a personality test in 301, it became clear that I would thrive on the registration team. In Scripture, God says that we have purpose. When serving, I feel I have that purpose. Through serving on the dream team, I have gotten to know God better than I ever could have imagined. It brings a smile to my face when I can help parents and children find their way around Rockbrook. Being able to give the first impression of Rockbrook for kids gives me a joy that I cannot cannot gain anywhere else. It enlightens me to be the cheery, bright face that was there when I first began going to Rockbrook with my daughter. Being able to smile into so many people's lives brings me closer to God. 
Showing even just a little bit of the enormous love God has for me to others is enriching my spiritual life. Being able to be part of another believer's story makes me feel purposeful. I'm so thankful that I have Rockbrook as my family and church. What does this person learn? That they're not just at a post, running a computer, man in a spot. And they said, I'm going to make a difference in someone's life today, just like when I came here, someone made the difference in my life. They said, I want, I want, to, I want to take this to a whole, my, my faith to a level to where I'm serving my church and I'm serving those people around me and I'm ushering them into something that is going to absolutely change their life. And so one more person, this is from a small group leader. Small group leaders, I love you. I thank you for leading, for creating a space and a place uh, for people uh, to find freedom in the purposes of God, to experience a worship and fellowship, discipleship, evangelism and ministry. Now listen to this from someone on our dream team who leads a teen small group. When I started leading a teen small group, I have to say I was pretty nervous. The thought of studying scripture and mentoring young guys in a stage of life that can be very challenging scared me. I reluctantly went forward knowing it was the right step. Small groups and youth ministry as a whole had changed my life and now I got to be an active part of that. It wasn't long until all of the pressure of being this biblical scholar and answering deep philosophical questions for these young guys just melted away. And I realized that my job as a leader was so much more about being there and being present in their lives. And sure, I'll answer some tough questions from time to time, but mostly I just get to be a part of some awesome guy, young guys' lives as we learn about Jesus together. I had put so much pressure on myself about changing these guys' lives, I didn't even think of how much my life would change. So what's your plan in 2018 to grow spiritually? What's your plan? What's your plan to grow closer to God this year? And I, I want to just give you the challenge to give us a year of your life. To give God 2018. We make no apology around here for asking you to just to run the plays as they've been called. So that you can know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And turn around and go, oh my goodness, I'm fulfilling the purposes of God in my life. How do you, how do you give to God everything in your life by giving to him the next thing. I, I can't go 20 years in the future and give him that year. I can just give him what's in front of me right now. So what's your next step? Man, you're coming to weekend services. Have you given your life to Christ? If you've given your life to Christ and, and you're a Christian, have you been baptized? Have you connected with, with your church family and fellowship? Have you taken the, to the growth track? Have you joined a team and made a difference to make a difference? How do you give to God everything by devoting to him the next thing? One last thought I'll leave you with. If you're taking notes, write this in. The key to my spiritual growth is to take my next step and take it now. The vision is that we'd be a church in motion, taking steps and following Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for giving us a purpose. Thank you for making these things clear to us. Help us to not be driven by our preference, our timetable, our life. Help us to be driven by your word and the purposes you've laid out for us. God, we thank you for Jesus. 
and that his salvation makes all of this possible. Without him, we are lost in darkness and death, but he came that we may be found in light and life. So God, we thank you for his life, his perfect life, unmatched. Help us to follow his example and teaching. God, we thank you for the cross, that the penalty of death is paid. Thank you for the resurrection that Jesus' words hold true, that he is alive today, and surely he is with us until the end of the age. Help us to believe in Jesus and take our next step in following him. Through Jesus' name we pray, amen.